the Passover lamb continues. And that's what was starting to happen last week as we, as, as I kind of filled you in and, and brought you up to speed that we're in the last week of Jesus' life. And it is Passion Week, but it's also Passover week. And, and it was necessary in that time. And even today, I, I'm assuming with the Jews and the Passover that, that they, they choose a lamb that will be sacrificed. But in that realm, they would bring in the lamb that they were going to sacrifice and they would examine their Passover lamb. The family would. They would do that to make sure that it was without blemish because it had to be a, a perfect lamb to be sacrificed for, for the Passover. And here we have in, in, in our midst the household, basically, of God, the heads of the nation of Israel, the religious leaders, that are doing just that. They, the Lamb of God has shown up. They're examining the Lamb of God to make sure that there is no blemish whatsoever. It's interesting because we have the privilege of looking back into history. We get to see and understand what is going on and why this is going on. And we can correlate this whole thing from between Jesus and the Passover lamb and how it all kind of ties in together. The people that are living there the people of the day, the people that we are reading about that are doing the examination, um, they were just looking for a fault in Jesus because it, it would warrant them the, 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 the opportunity to put him to death. And so they are trying to find something to pin something, just something, just say something, Jesus, that we can pin on you so that we can put you to death. See, we look back and going, man, this is kind of crazy, but I understand. Jesus has to go through this. These guys are living in the moment, and all they're trying to do is put him to death. Simple little task. On top of everything else, the, the Passover that's happening, they got to uh, work, work, work. You know, and now we have to put this guy to death. But I love the fact that we looked at last week, and this is where I get this title in verse 18 of this chapter, where it says, but Jesus perceived. And again, Jesus, Jesus knew exactly what was happening. He was aware of the motives behind the questioning that he would be getting. He understood that. He, he, he was cognizant of that whole wicked plot, the, 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 the maliciousness that was behind it, the, 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 the depravity of these people, that their hatred towards him has gotten so out of control that they can't even see straight. And man, they're going to do whatever they can. They will hatch whatever plot they can to, to catch him in his words. And so here we are in Matthew chapter 22. We will cover from verse 23 to 33 this morning. It says, The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man died, dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there was with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. The second, likewise the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection there is neither marry, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read? What was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. 
And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Father, thank you for your word. Blessed, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go back to our text here, beginning in verse 23, where it says that the same day the Sadducees came on. (laughs) And like I shared with you last week, more than likely all of this is taking place on that Tuesday of the Passion Week, that Tuesday of the Passover week, if you will. And it is time for the Passover lamb to start being examined and making sure that it will be just right so that it can be put to death on Friday. And so that is what they're doing. Jesus knows exactly, like I share, what is going on. He knows that His hour has come. He has been allowed to come in on that triumphant Sunday and be, be represented or, or, or be introduced as the Messiah. It is for this very thing that He has come and He is not going to stop any of this examination that is going on. You know, you, you, you could almost think that, well, if, if He really didn't want this to happen, He'd just walk out. He'd just leave. He just go, go back. You know what? Let's get out of this place. Let's go back to Bethany. But he's not doing that because he understands why he's there. The only reason Jesus comes from heaven to earth is to die for our sins, to become the Passover lamb. And so, again, he's not going to cower from any of this. So he's going to allow the examinations to continue. And so next up, as we looked at last week, the Pharisees brought their Herodians with them so they can ask him a question and test him. And so next on deck, or up to bat, is the Sadducees. And so the examination continues. Now Jesus is put to, put to the test, not so much on a political question like they were asking last week because they were a political group. This is a religious group. They're going to ask him on the topic, a question on the topic of the resurrection, which this group does not believe in. That is why they are sad, you see. You, I... You guys were waiting for that one, and I have to use that at least once because there's new people here oftentimes, and they haven't heard that joke. They're not coming back now? Well, you came back. Anyways, be that as it may. She's heard it many a times. Dude, let's not argue here. Let's not argue here. Jeez. Ushers. Where's the usher? <laughs> oh, that's her, her husband. Never mind. Erase all that from the tape. People are going to go, what's going on in that church? (sighs) Okay, so next, (laughs) right off the bat, we see that these Sadducees, that are sad, you see, um, right off the bat, it tells us that they don't believe in the resurrection. They say there is no resurrection. That's who these people are. So we understand that. So right off the bat, we are told about this group that, that they didn't believe in this. But the question that they are bringing up <laughs> has to do about the resurrection. So I can guarantee you that, that the, this was their go-to question. Whenever this topic came up, they were going to go with this, this, this story and ask, well, what about this? I'm sure whenever somebody brought up the resurrection, oh no, I believe they would always go to this story. And it's interesting because you will run across people in your Christian life that will always want to challenge you with a certain question that it's their pet peeve. That's their go-to question. Now, oftentimes, these are people who don't believe in spiritual things. But they will question you on these spiritual matters. Or on the other hand, you know, on the flip side of that, you have these people who are super spiritual that you're going like, oh, I don't know. And they're always, they always have their go-to question as well. They're, they're two different parts of the spectrum here that they just want to argue. And I can guarantee you, when you run into people that have these, these questions, these types of things, they already know in their heart, I don't want to know. I just want to trip you up. Right? 
Have you ever been in that situation? And don't you wish you can just answer like Jesus and just make them look silly and stupid? At the same time, being humble. <laughs> and just kind of like, mm, and walk away going, yes. And you know, you, you almost want to be that. You shouldn't be an arrogant person like that. But man, is it fun sometimes. I just got to say that. But you run into people like that, and that's who these people are. So what we can surmise from, from this group is that they're really not interested in, in, in understanding the topic of the resurrection. They're not coming to Jesus to really go, you know what, let's hear from this guy. I don't know if they had ever confronted him or not. I doubt that. But they're not going there going, man, we really need to settle this issue. No, they're going, to their, to, they're going there to, to not be convinced of life after death because they don't believe in that. They're just there to humiliate him. They're there to prove that he is not the Messiah as he has now claimed he is. As how the people have now brought him up and exposed him as Messiah, they are there to trip him up. And that's the only reason that they are there. And so this group, the Sadducees, they are a group of uh, elite religious aristocrats, if you will. They are the upper crust, the upper class. They are the wealthy part of the priesthood, if you will. They are made up, or they also make up part of the Sanhedrin, the council, if you will, along with the Pharisees and some of the scribes that were part of the Pharisees. This group in particular, the Sadducees, they only accept the law of Moses as the authority. And if it's not in the first five books of the Bible... They're not going to accept it. That's where they lived. That was their place. Now, the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. And the word Pentateuch comes from two Greek words that mean five books or five scrolls. And these books are, the, are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Hebrew version of those five books is, is known as the Torah. So when you hear the Torah, when somebody's speaking to you in, in, in Hebrew <laughs> or throwing words like that around, you're going, I have no clue. Now you know the Torah. When somebody says, oh, it's in the Torah, you're going, first five books of the Bible. In the Hebrew, it means teachings. Now, one of the d big differences that the Sadducees and the Pharisees had was that the, the Sadducees did not adhere to, follow, or obey the oral law as the Pharisees did. That was a huge difference. The, the Hebrew or, or the Pharisees, they, they, they adhered to the Torah, the Pentateuch. They adhered to that, but they were more into the oral law. They added to all the law of Moses, as you remember, as we've covered the Pharisees. These guys, the Sadducees, did not do that. They understood the oral law, but to them it's like, that's hearsay, man. That's stuff that has been added. We just stick to the first five books of the Bible. And that was one of the big major differences between the two. Even though these guys were part of the Sanhedrin, they had differences, but they were part of the council. And you could say that the Sadducees were more biblically based than the other groups. They were, they were in the Bible more. They were like, no, if it's not in here, I'm not believing it. So again, it's not that they're not religious, they're very religious, but it has to be in the first five books. So once again, these two groups who are opposed to each other, oftentimes, vastly different in many ways, have now come together. They have joined forces, if you will, to get rid of their common enemy. I want, to, I want to reveal to you or show, show you one of the, the, the differences in how they were so volatile with one another, and yet they're on the same team right now. But in Acts chapter 23, the Apostle Paul, when he was now standing before the council, 
It says in, in, in Acts 23, verses 6 through 9, he says, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sanhedrin and the other part Pharisees, he cried out to the council, the Sanhedrin. He says, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, am I being judged? And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees says there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no fault or no evil in this man. For if a spirit or angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So you can see the volatility between these two groups, between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they have now come together. They're not going to fight over this issue, the Pharisees know that the Sadducees are going to come in and ask them about the resurrection. And they already know, man, we're on opposite spectrums of this whole thing. But let's come together and we will allow you to go and test Jesus so maybe you can do some of our dirty work and find some fault in him. And so you see, the Sadducees, they knew where Jesus stood in regards to this issue. They understood that. Either they had heard him talk about it before, or they had been, it had been reported to them about where he stood on this matter. It's interesting when Jesus, whether he was talking to him or them or, or the multitude or the disciples, there was this one time, and I think it's back in, in Matthew 5 or in, in some other place that he shares, when he starts talking about if your right hand or if your hand or your foot causes you to, to sin, cut it off, he says. For it is better that you enter into life maim than enter into life whole. And he's talking about life after death. In, those ish, in, in that whole scenario there. And so I'm sure that the Sadducees, they had heard about how he talked about life after death. And so he, he, either they've heard it themselves or they've been, it's been reported to them. And I'm sure that they also knew that Jesus, a few weeks earlier, possibly, or maybe a, a week earlier, that he had said of himself to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, even though he die, he shall live. And I'm sure that they've also heard that right after that, he raised Lazarus from the dead. So they must have thought, yeah, right, you are the resurrection and the life. There is no resurrection. Oh, and you raised him from the dead. Great trick. Jesus, it must have been a trick. Because they did not believe in it. And so here they are now in front of him, testing him on these very issues. And I think that oftentimes we as people, as humans, if we don't understand certain things, and if we can't explain it in our way, then oftentimes we look at it as being untrue or not real. And this is where these Sadducees are at. But I think oftentimes people feel the same way. If they can't explain it or totally understand it, you're skeptical about it. And these guys really didn't understand. They didn't, they didn't capture this whole resurrection thing. And so to them, it must not be real or true. And, and you could think, well, there's been a lot of smart people throughout our history. People throughout the ages who have discounted a lot of these issues that are beyond our realm. And so they're going, it's just too far-fetched. So it probably isn't true. And this is where these guys are at. They cannot wrap their head around that. Again, they're spiritual people. They understand God's word to a certain extent, but they don't quite go to to that realm because they have, they've never been there and they've never experienced it. 
And so they come to him. And so now that we have this background that their question that they're about to ask him, again, they're going like, okay, we're going to get this guy here because nobody's ever passed this test. And they say to him, teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. And so now, instead of going into this whole resurrection thing yet, they're going to give him this scenario and say, if in fact (laughs) there is life after death, then let us pose this question to you that there's this guy or there's this woman who has a husband, he dies. Has her brother, he dies. Has the other, and, and on and on and on. And so the question is, at the end, who's wife shall she be in this resurrection if in fact it is true because they're going what all of them are going to be claiming her so so to them they're going we 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 got him here and so they're posing this question and it is based on the law of marriage given to us in deuteronomy 25 and if you'd like to go back there i want to read you this portion so you can understand why this question is being asked to them, to Jesus. And so back in in Deuteronomy chapter 25, beginning in verse 5 to verse 10, this was one of the laws concerning marriage and, and carrying on the brother's name. It says, if a brother, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go in to her, take her to as his wife, and perform the duty of a brother's a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if a man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother, his brother's wife, go up to the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, you shall so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. Verse 10. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who, has, who had his sandal removed. So you could see, it's a pretty serious issue. It's really serious, man. That if the guy's going... Mm, you guys live right next door. I heard all the arguing, all the fighting. Uh-uh. I do not want to have her as my wife. <laughs> no way. He, pro- she probably, he probably just killed himself. <laughs> no way. Going, I don't want it. <laughs> now, it's interesting because there was a reference to this law before it was actually made a law in Genesis 38. When Judah, one of the, 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 the 12 tribes of Israel, the man Judah, when he, his son married a woman, Tamar, and Tamar's husband died, and the other brother, instead of having somebody with him, he says, no way, Jose, and he doesn't impregnate her, but instead pulls out early, and God strikes him dead because he didn't do it. And then he tells the guy, or, or the, 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 his daughter-in-law, well, wait for my youngest son. And after a while, the guy's going, I don't want him to marry her. God, God's going to strike him dead. And so if you know the whole story, you can read the whole story. It's pretty interesting and pretty radical. 
But it's also, there's also a reference to that law in Ruth chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. And it says this in Ruth 1, 11 to 13. It said, but Naomi said to her daughters, because they're both, uh, to her uh, daughter-in-laws, because they're both husbands that died, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back. Go, my, uh, turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear a son, would you wait for them till they are grown? Will you refrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against, against me. And so this, this question and this story that these Sadducees are posing to Jesus, I look at it, it's like it's got to be a hypothetical question that they're asking, that they're posing to Jesus. And the reason I, th- I think that, because you're going, okay, there were seven guys and the first one dies not having a kid. And so, again, the tradition would be that the second brother does this. And he dies also. And then the third brother, and you're going, hmm, what's up with her cooking? What is she cooking with, maybe? Why, why are all these guys dying? You know, if you were the mother-in-law, you'd be going, Mija, um... What are you doing, baby girl? You're killing off all my boys. And if I'm the fourth son, going, ain't no way, Jose. I, I'd, I'd be going, no, 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 no. You can call me the house of him who had his sandal removed all day long. You can spit in my face all day long. I'll tattoo that saying all over my chest. I don't care. I ain't marrying the serial killer. Because she's killing my brothers, man. And I I ain't going to be number four. And so I think it's a hypothetical, but these guys are bringing it on, going, there's a law in the books of the first five books that says they got to do this. So if, in fact, there is a resurrection, whose wife will this woman be? Again, these guys didn't believe any of it. And, And what they're trying to do is equate the physical with the spiritual. In other words, they're trying to bring the earthly into the heavenly, and it just doesn't work that way. And I think oftentimes we try and do the same thing ourselves, that whatever we see here on earth, we, we imagine it goes on exactly up in heaven, but even better. <laughs> if you like to surf, man, the waves are awesome up there. If you like to work on cars, man, you're going to have the cheriest car up there. If this, it's, it's just whatever happens here is just even better in heaven. And that's the mindset that we have, that we try to take the physical from here and take it up to heaven and say, dude, that's going to be awesome because that's what heaven is like. And I think we are mistaken when we do that. And so when we can't quite comprehend, like these guys can't comprehend what he is about to tell them, they're like going, wait a minute. What do you mean? They don't quite get it. And so they just dismiss the whole thing. And I think that oftentimes when we start thinking, it's going to be vastly different. We can't quite comprehend it. And I often think that because in comparison, (laughs) we have pea brains compared to God. We are finite, and He is infinite. You know, again, when, when, when we start talking about the resurrection, do I totally understand the resurrection? No, I don't. I don't quite get that. Because I've had people say, well, wait a minute, how is God going to do that? What if somebody gets cremated? What if somebody dies in the ocean and the animals eat them up and, you know, whatever happens? And, and, and so people are going... How is that possible that we would have our bodies resurrected and, say, and you're going, okay, you're limiting God to, to, to our pea brain here that says, oh, how is he going to put that back together? It's like, dude, he spoke things into existence with just his word. 
And so when you start understanding that He is far beyond our thinking, far beyond our realm, because we think of the earthly, of the physical, and we try to put that in the spiritual realm, and it just doesn't work that way. And that's what these guys are saying. They're going, there was a brother or there was a woman who had seven husbands. Whose husband or whose wife will she be in heaven? And he's going, you don't even get it. It's far beyond your understanding here. And I love the fact that Jesus will answer them in such a simple way that, again, I hope we understand it and we don't try to make it more complicated. Because I don't think it's complicated. But they could not get it. It was hard for them to comprehend that. And so I I often come to this conclusion within myself that if I could totally understand everything about God, if I could totally understand everything, why He does anything, He's not much of a God. If I could wrap my head around my God, then he's going to be almost just like me. <laughs> and I don't know about you. I mean, I kind of like myself, but I would not worship myself. <laughs> okay, sometimes I do. But I don't like to do that. But you know what I'm saying. If you could totally understand God, he's not much of a God. And I think that's what people do. They try to figure out, and that's why they dismiss who God is, because they can't quite put it into writing. (laughs) They can't quite understand it. So if I don't understand it, then it must not be true. And you're limiting God to your sphere, your realm, and thinking, I need to totally understand this. And see, I have the perspective that He is sovereign. He, He knows it all. He sees it all. And I don't. And so when I have that perspective, then I can accept some of the things that go on here in this world because I know that He's still on the throne. But if I try to figure out why or why not, then it's going to drive me nuts and I'm going to have doubt about who that guy is who sits on the throne. And I don't have doubts about who He is. Oh, there's certain things that you battle. I think all of us do. But at the end of the day, you better get to the place where he sits on the throne and you don't. And he is sovereign and you don't, you're not. And when somebody claims that they know the sovereignty of God, they're fools. Because they can't. And that's what these guys are. Because they're going, oh, we're going to trip him up here. And I love the fact that he just turns to them as they've asked them this question. And I'm sure they're going like, Done. And he says to them, you are mistaken. You are mistaken not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. (laughs) Whoa. He just hit them on two big points. Huge points. And once again, Jesus is not playing really nice here. Instead of just going, yeah, you're right. I, I I don't get it either. He just goes right at them because he perceives exactly what, they are go- what they're doing, what's going on. He, he, he knows the motives behind the question. And he slaps him on the face. These religious leaders who, who prided themselves in knowing the law of Moses. Because when he says this phrase, you are mistaken... That phrase means to properly cause to roam from safety, truth, and virtue, or virtue. To go astray, deceive, err, seduce, wander, to be out of the way. In other words, you have veered off from the truth and are deceiving yourselves and others and are no longer on the right path, is what he just told them. You are so far out of this. It's not even funny because you guys are Sadducees and you guys, you guys pride yourselves in knowing the Word of God. And he says, you are mistaken. You have veered off so far off that you've gone over the cliff because you don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. And he is just like, boom, boom. Two good ones right in the face. 
For him to say, you don't know the scriptures, this group, again, above all the other religious groups, prided themselves in knowing the scriptures, especially the first five books of the Bible. And so this is an affront, an assault on them, and is very disrespectful in what he has just told them. And you're going, oh, Jesus would never be disrespectful. If it's the truth, yeah. He just puts them in their place right now. Especially because the multitude is hearing all this. He has just decimated them in front of all their peeps, man. All of them. And made them look silly and stupid. Because I don't think anybody has ever called them out like this. I doubt that anybody has ever challenged their knowledge of the Scriptures because everybody knew these guys are Bible-based. They know everything about the first five books of the Bible, man. Nobody calls them out on this. And Jesus just did. And then he goes on, he says, and you don't even know the power of God. This group had a form of godliness, but they have denied the power thereof. And in that, they were not only deceiving themselves that they knew, but they were deceiving others as well. And that's why he goes right into the jugular, boom, and hits them. He goes right at them. And and, and what is interesting, the fact that he would say, you don't even know the power of God. The fact that he would say that would be going like, man, the first five books of the Bible shows us his immense power. When he starts talking about how he created everything. The first five books of the Bible, man, you just see the power of God all over again. Time and time and time again we see the power of God. And he's saying, you don't even quite understand it. Not even in the slightest. These guys, man, they're, they're like, whoa. I'm sure they're taken aback. Because he says, you don't understand any of this. In the verse 30 he says, For in the resurrection there, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Whoa. What he is saying is, marriage isn't even a thing in the resurrection. Now I know for some of you that's, that's sad to hear. Because you're thinking, oh, we're going to be in heaven forever, darling. Okay, sweetie. Some of you guys are going, come Lord Jesus, now. <laughs> Get this marriage over with. <laughs> You're like underlining it going. Sweet, marriage is not a thing up there. <laughs> you see, the purpose of marriage was only earthly. It was, it was only earthly. It was, it's, it's not made for heaven. You see, the purpose of marriage is for procreation. That's when he created Adam and Eve. He says, hey, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But in heaven, it's not like that because people don't die there. You see, people die here and people continue to reproduce and one person dies and the other one is born. And we keep on reproducing here. Whereas death, it, 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 it fills up for the Christian, for the believer, heaven. And he says, no, there is no such thing as marriage up in heaven. Now, I've often thought, and that's just me, are we going to have even an inkling? Because I'm okay with not being married in heaven, but I almost want to go to my wife and be like, I know who you are. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> you, know, you almost want to do that. You, know? you want to comfort people. You know? It's like, well, maybe in heaven they'll know that, yeah, yeah we're married, but that's, that's not a big thing now. We're just best friends now. Um, (laughs) there is no need to repopulate heaven death will do that because there is no dying in heaven (laughs) and I think about this whole little scenario of the brothers up there going I don't want to even see her man (laughs) she did us all in man (laughs) keep her on that side of heaven she might try to feed me here. Be that as it may. I'm just reading into that story. I hope you guys understand that. But he says, he says, 
in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven, uh, angels of God in heaven. Understand and notice that Jesus doesn't say you become angels. It's a misnomer there, man. I know it sounds pretty. I know all of that. I understand, but we don't become angels. We don't get wings in angels or, or in heaven. We don't, we, that, that, that just doesn't happen. But I understand the concept behind it. Don't get me wrong. But he doesn't say we become angels. He says we become like angels. Not that we look like them. The fact is that they don't reproduce. They are created beings and they don't need to reproduce. That's the difference between the angels and us. And, and so again, he, he's not trying to paint this picture that when you die, you get some wings. That doesn't happen. And it's going to be okay. And I understand when we have those concepts here on earth. But again, we're trying to bring the things, you know, we're trying to correlate the two and it just doesn't work that way. Heaven is not an extension of earth. It is totally different. It's a different realm. And I know that when we have the Word of God and what we see in the Word of God, the explanations of what it might be like, I think it, the only reason we have pictures of it that, that we can understand is so that we understand that there is life after death. Jesus just said that there is. There is life after death. And so whatever pictures we have in Revelation or however it is of what heaven might look like, I could guarantee you it will blow your mind even more than that. It has to. It's a different realm. It's not physical in any way. And so whatever we get in the Word of God, it's down to our level so we can go, okay, so there is life after death. Absolutely. Do I totally understand how that works? I have no clue. But I'm looking forward to that. Because his word has told me that. The Sadducees were greatly mistaken in trying to bring heaven down to their level. And we shouldn't make that same mistake. Again, we know because the word of God has told us that he is the resurrection and the life. And though one die, he shall live. So there is life. There is always life after death. The Apostle Paul said that it was not lawful for him to utter the things that he got to see and hear when he went up to the third heaven. He's going, I can't even share it with you, man, because people are going to think I'm cuckoo. Because it is so far-fetched. I can't even totally explain it. And, and so again, he's not saying like, oh, I can't. It's like, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I just... And, and, and so, guys, what, what, what Jesus is saying here, it is so far beyond what you're trying to examine here. <laughs> you're trying to bring it down to a place where you can totally understand it. And it's far beyond that. And I'm okay with that, guys. I really am. Do I know everything about the Trinity? Nope. But I trust it and I know it. Do I know everything about His love? Nope. Not, not, not at all. But man, I'll take it all day long. Same thing with His grace. That's something that, again, I, I, I don't understand why He loves you that much. <laughs> I don't know why He loves me that much. I don't know. I don't know why Jesus would do what He's doing here. It's far beyond what we could ever imagine. And so when Jesus is, is, is telling these guys, He says, but concerning the resurrection, in verse 33, or 31, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read? Jesus takes these guys to the second book of the Bible in Exodus. He says, have you not read what it said to you personally in Exodus 3? You see, they thought that they knew the first five books of the Bible, inside and out. And they never came across anything about the resurrection. So that's why they discounted it. And yet, 1 Corinthians 8, 2 says, If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing at all, or yet, as he ought to know. 
These guys were never equated what God said to Moses at the burning bush with life after death and the resurrection. And so when he says to them, have you, you know, never read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, of the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? The, the, the fact that he uses the present tense that I am implies that God is still the God of these patriarchs. He is still their God because they are alive. And ultimately, they will share in the ultimate resurrection of the righteous at the end of the age. They will be there. Again, guys, that that we would understand when he says, I am, he is saying, I still am. And I always trip out because, again, when we see in the New Testament, in the mountain of transfiguration, when we see Moses and Elijah who have been gone off this earth for hundreds of years, they're very much alive still. And he said, no, I am. Because he said, well, I was the God of Abraham. (laughs) I, I, I was, in the past tense, implying that these patriarchs are no more. They have no consciousness no more. They're gone. They don't exist. He doesn't say that. He says, I still am. Because they are very much alive. And I love the fact that when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. I was before Abraham. And they're going, you can't even be 60 years old, dude. And you've seen Abraham? He's like, seen him, talked to him, been around him a lot. Because they were all very much alive, guys. And again, what Jesus is saying, these guys are trying to comprehend the resurrection, that there's life after death, and going, we don't quite get it. He's going, just trust me. I didn't tell you. You have to get it. And so when he repeats that I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the Lord was saying that he knew them personally and he loved them individually, each one of them. And so this last part is another slap in the face to these guys who knew the scriptures inside and out when he says, Jesus tells them, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Aren't you so glad about that? I I think these guys were underestimating the power of God because they were bringing it down to their level, trying to understand it, and that we would not make that mistake, that God is the God of the living, not the dead. He is a powerful God. We cannot totally understand the resurrection. But I receive it and I accept it. Now, I I, I know that we can be skeptical in a lot of things that pertain to God. And even His Word. I understand that. But it doesn't make it untrue. And when people argue the fact that God is this, God is dead, God is this, whatever it is, it's like, Just because you're saying it doesn't make it true. Whether you believe it or not doesn't not make it true or not true. It's it's the Word of God. And I know that people would say, well, you're just so simplistic. (laughs) Yeah, try to be, man, because if I try to complicate it, man, and I just try not to. The Word of God is true. And so I understand that there's hard things in the Word of God that we don't always understand them, but we can't dismiss them as not true. Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. God is true. See, Jesus is still going to go through this testing, this inspection, and and he comes up clean in this one and there will be another one next week. But he is the spotless Lamb of God. And he's going through all of this, guys, for you and I. He came to die for our sins. And what he is teaching these men here is that the Word of God is faithful and true. The Word of God is living and powerful. And it is held above the name of God. We may not always understand it nor even agree with it. (laughs) 
But it has stood the test of time and it will continue to. Smarter people than us have tried to disprove it. (laughs) And maybe perhaps they have succeeded in some ways to turn people away from God. But I can guarantee you the moment that those people breathed their last, they realized they were greatly mistaken. (laughs) Not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. It's sad. We serve a God, the God of the living, not the God of the dead. We serve the God who sees it all and knows it all. We serve the God that is in every place at all times. The Bible tells us that He never slumbers nor sleeps. And He is always seated on the throne. Amen? The last verse in the Amplified, it says, And when the throngs heard it, they were astonished and filled with glad amazement at his teaching. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord. Father, even as you were being tested, you allowed your son to be tested and tried. Lord, all of this was necessary on our behalf. And I pray that God, even this morning, 2,000 years later, We can capture this and understand why he went through all that he went through on our behalf, Lord. Because he had to come up spotless. And even though he made these guys look silly, Lord God, he didn't sin in any way, shape, or form. But he put them in their place, Lord. Father, we need that wisdom in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, not that we would disrespect anybody, but that we would stand up for your word. And that we we would use it correctly, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters that, Lord, you have given them hope once again of life beyond this life. That there is life, Lord, beyond the grave to comfort us, to encourage us, Lord. That we would continue to have that hope that does not fade away and that it's reserved in heaven for us, Lord. I pray for anyone in this room right now, Lord, who is so far away from you, And maybe, Lord God, those in this room who have not quite understood and so they've dismissed you, Lord, altogether. And yet you brought them here for some reason, Lord. And today they need to humble themselves and ask for forgiveness, Lord. And if you're here this morning, and I don't know all of you, I don't know where you're at, but maybe this morning you realize, man, I need Jesus. Because you don't know where you're going to go if you die right now. Because there is life in heaven and there's life in hell. And that's both real. And I'm not here to scare you, but just give you the, the truth, the simple truth. Your soul will live on forever. And if you don't know where you're going, then this morning that you would just acknowledge him and go, I need you by raising your hand right where you're at. And I want to pray for you. Is there anyone this morning that you would receive the salvation Father, I pray, God, that you would just draw those close to you who may be feeling far away as Christians to remind them as you have this morning that there is life after death, Lord. If there's any who are walking out of here, Lord God, who once again feel like they've triumphed because they didn't accept you, then Lord, I pray you convict them and bring them closer to you. And we thank you, Lord, for your word, for allowing us the privilege in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Let's stand as we